Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Ira Harris, Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They are the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, and RJO Futures. To learn about some great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com slash sponsors. Today I spoke with CME Group Board of Directors, Futures Trader, author of my favorite blog, Notes from Underground, and my good friend, Ira Harris. Today, Ira and I kicked off the conversation, doing it a little bit different than we have in the past, by asking him what markets he was currently trading. And then from there, I asked him to explain why he's trading those specific markets right now. Let's face it, we're in a time where there is so much going on in so many different markets. And with a great trader like Ira, I wanted to know why he's choosing to trade these specific markets. Out of the gates, he talked about the U.S. dollar and foreign currency. So we talked about that and why Ira is stressing that the U.S. dollar is a primary focus of his right now. He explains why he's so bullish gold, how he's trading treasuries and yield curves, oats. Yeah, that's right. The oat market and wheat. And last but not least, we talked a little bit about crude oil, Russia, and Putin. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Ira. Ira, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Anthony. It's been a while since we've talked, but uh, the world has certainly unfolded in some very interesting and I'm sure some people would say diabolical ways. So, uh, But a lot of what we've talked about has come to uh, fruition only because we... we you and I have discussed this debt issue and how the systematic overload of debt is what was going to um, be a problem for this. And it only got revealed through, of course, the impact of what I would call the demand shock. Uh, others will argue a supply shock, but I argue demand shock from the uh, COVID-19. No doubt about it. And that's definitely a topic I want to discuss today. And you and I have done so many interviews over the years. And I want to change things up a little bit. And the way I want to kick off today's show is I want to ask you simply just what markets are you trading right now? Anthony, I am trading. I'm really not trading many S&Ps or, or equity markets. So I may trade some of the foreign ones. I'm trading a lot of foreign currency because I have certain views about what's going on, and I think I've been dead right on target, maybe not as far as market movements, but what the central bank response is going to be. I was trading a lot of the debt market, treasury markets, and foreign bonds, but I've stepped back here because I'm trying to understand what the impact is going to be from all the Fed action um, and what the treasury is doing. So I want to see the way markets are sizing up, but I actually caught the first leg of the steepener because that, that was one of my favorite trades and that did happen but now we it stopped happening and i was smart enough on a sunday night to say you know what things are a little different here it was two sundays ago and i said i'm getting out of all my steepeners because there's things that are happening and when i don't understand them i step back um trading a lot of metals because metals have been a very important element for my whole uh dynamic of understanding central banks that in the discussion I've had about that metals are not a hedge against inflation initially, they're a hedge against central bank credibility and their ability to uh, to act. And it was more based on the fears of deflation, which 
this is what we're in the throes of right now. And I'm trading a lot of commodities, believe it or not, both, both ways. Uh, some based on foreign currency movements and others based on, I think that there's, you know, coming shortages. And I've actually, this past week, and I know the seasonals are in favor of it, but I'm watching the oat and wheat market very closely because there's certainly a dynamic at work in the, glo- in the global system about uh, certain shortages or, or fair shortages. So, uh, so I'm, I'm really trading everything, not many, not really trading that many equity markets because it's not where I close. I mean, I'm watching them, but it's, it, it's a high speed, high frequency trade for me unless I get to some key levels. Then, of course, I'll trade them. But otherwise, no, uh, much more focused currency metals. Uh, interest rates are I'm very attuned to not trading that much and trading a lot of commodities. Okay, so the reason why I wanted to start off with that question is because typically you and I will talk about the global macro themes, the situations that you're seeing, and then we take it back to the markets you're trading and then the technicals. So I want to do it reverse this time. And so I just jotted down the markets that you're trading. You talked about trading a lot of foreign currencies. Uh, You're trading some treasuries. I know that you talked about one of the steepener trades. Uh, precious metals, I'm assuming, gold and silver. We, I know you like to trade those markets, and we'll, we'll talk about that. And then you said commodities, oat, uh, and wheat markets. So let's start off with the foreign currency markets. Why are those the markets that you're trading right now? So give us the global macro situation as to why you're looking at those markets, and then talk to us about how you are using the charts, the technical analysis to guide you through some of those trades? Okay. Um, so the currencies are very interesting to me and have been because as we saw, and actually I blogged about six weeks ago calling for uh, the Fed to cut 50 basis points right away. And because uh, you could see what was going on, how the markets had shifted. The first two weeks of the year, and we had talked about this, that it looked like we were going to see some com- movement, up moves in commodity markets. Oil was moving. A lot of things were moving up. The dollar was actually weakening. And the emerging markets were starting to strengthen. Both equity markets and their currencies were performing pretty well. And we did a, uh, a volta facie uh, quickly once, this, once the impact of the virus really became to be known and everything reversed. And when it reversed, you saw the dollar start to strengthen, and yet it was wreaking havoc. It's still wreaking havoc, especially in the emerging markets, because they have so much uh, dollar-denominated debt. So when the dollar goes up against their currency, the cost of carrying that debt, which was cheap, which is why they took it on, uh, becomes much more expensive. And, and coupled with the fall, the dramatic fall in commodity prices from copper to oil, grains, um, Sugar was up at fifteen dollars is now down at ten and a half so these affect the emerging markets you know quite a bit and you know my my thought was that the Fed had to get more aggressive because they had to find ways to weaken the dollar. This strong dollar is undermining a lot of the work that they're trying to do on a global basis, and there's no let there be no question about it that the Fed has to be as much concerned about the global system as they are about the domestic system. You know, and that's been my point. I said they have three mandates. And it's interesting because in 2019, we had a couple speeches and a few papers written by uh, Richard Clarida, the vice chair of the Fed, discussing the uh, international role that the Fed plays, in, you know, because of the dollar. So this is, this is why I've really been involved watching this. So it sounds to me as though the dollar has become your central focus right now. Uh, a primary focus of yours, I, sh- I should say. And what's happening in this global macro situation and its impacts on the dollar are giving you reasons to step in and trade foreign currencies. Yeah, uh, that's 100% right. That's 100% right. Um, because it's under, it, it reflects that the Fed policy up to this point has been really a failure because they cannot get the dollar down. They need a lower dollar. The world needs a lower dollar. And I can walk you through because that's going to be to, uh, I'm, today. I'm going to blog after I get done with you 
uh, and I'm going to talk more about this. I've been talking a lot about it, especially with the Europeans. Uh, they need a weaker dollar because so much funding is done in dollars, and they, the world does not just need, you know, this is not a trade issue. This is a financial system issue, and there's a big difference in that. So when I say that the Fed needs to, I, I've been calling for the Fed to intervene directly, almost like a pause accord, but to do it on their own because the world demands that they do it on their own. You don't need an agreement. You know, everybody gets caught up in these old rules because this is not a trade issue. They're not directing it against Japan. They're not directing it against China because they're, they're not directing it against Germany. This is an issue that the world is crying for dollars in order to fund all the, all the debt that's out there. They need a lower dollar. End, end of story. And the Fed knows it too, but they're failing at doing it. So it'll take a direct sense that the Fed will intervene in the dollar market at any time to at least get the ball rolling for a lower dollar. So something that you and I, we've talked about a lot, even going back to when we've talked about uh, you know, how floor traders would trade. And one of the things that I learned on the floor was when you see somebody that's stuck, right? A guy who's just in way over his head in a position and they start to unwind them. They have to do something. And that could go from a local to even a broker to where you're just seeing they, they just have to do something. What I'm, I guess what I'm curious about with you focusing on the dollar, is that because you think that what's happening now has caught a lot of people off guard? So is maybe part of your, your edge is that they have to do some of these things? So it's forcing these moves to, to be bigger and stronger and so you're able to capture them? Well, they really haven't started yet. And, you know, the dollar is stronger. Is The dollar started to weaken about uh, oh the previous week, but this week the dollar strengthened all week, which showed me that, again, the Fed is, and they have to be scratching their heads. And sometimes, we're, well, for the last three, four weeks, we get stuff done on Sunday evening. It's like uh, two weeks ago when the dollar did start to weaken, the Fed had announced uh, what I had actually been calling for two weeks prior to that, uh, opening swap lines, not just to develop economies, but to the uh, emerging market central banks so that they could swap their currencies for dollars. And they did it. But it's still not enough. There's so much. What I think from the last from the uh, uh, International Institute of Finance, that the last numbers when this started was that there was $11.5 trillion of debt in the emerging market world, and not just sovereign. We're talking about corporate debt because everybody, again, was borrowing in dollars. It was a cheap borrow. It's almost, you know, retraces what happened in Switzerland in uh, January 15, 2015. There's, you know, when people were, again, they had borrowed in Swiss francs. So when the Swiss pulled the, peg, pulled the plug on the peg, the move was very dynamic because all these people were caught wrong-footed. It's not quite as bad in the U.S., but it is a sustained because if you had told me that the Fed, you know, uh, doing all that they're doing and the dollar still rallying, well, you have a systemic problem, my friend. And yes, I know part of it is because of Europe, and we'll get to that. Europe is, is again, uh, trying to figure out what they're going to do or not do. And it is causing, uh, again, the dollar in the short term to be the cleanest uh, sh- shirt, as they say, in a, dirty, in a basket of dirty clothes, but they're all still dirty. So the Fed has to do more. So I'm just looking for this. When? Can't tell you. Uh, it, but it better be soon because it bothers the Fed. And I know that because, you know, they've done the swap lines. They've done what they think, everything they can to minimize the upward movement in the dollar. And yet the dollar still sustains itself. But they don't need, need to stop the upward. They need to start pushing it down and, and let the market start really working to take the dollar down. But we haven't seen it yet. But I'm very attentive to it. I understand the global macro reasons as to why you are focusing on the dollar and foreign currencies. Let's take it to the charts. Okay. What specific currencies are you trading? And just walk us through some of the things that you're looking at on the charts to help you get in and out of some of these trades. Well, believe it or not, uh, well, we won't. You don't want to know the emerging market currencies I've been trading because I've been trading them when I when I think I see an inkling of of something, you know, so I'll move. But again, it's a trade. I'm not putting on uh, positions of any 
the only position I've been running is a good is a medals position. But I'm not putting on because again, I'm not getting the picture that I need to get. But my my fundamental fundamental analysis, which I believe is correct, is will eventually take hold. It's just not yet. So everything's still a trade. Like on Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday, I, I actually was long ruble, which is a very liquid market, by the way, on uh, on the CME. Uh, during the, not at night, it's not so liquid, but during the day, very liquid. So I actually had a long ruble position that worked out very well. I've caught bits and pieces of the peso at times, um, but you have to discern when they break away from certain correlations that people have built over the last few years. So, and we're starting to see those correlations. But at times I get along the euro thinking, well, they're going to, you know, because I'm watching the European bond markets and that will give me a little hint at times. So I'll get along some euro. But I've been out of that because, again, they're dragging their feet and I've actually used it as a short against the gold a little bit here over the last five, six days. Um, the yen, at times people rush to it as, again, they think it's a haven. But the, it's a false sense of a haven. The reason that the yen plays, plays the role of a haven is because the Japanese have so much money invested over the world, and when they bring it home, it moves the market fairly dramatically. Plus, March 31st is year-end for the Japan financial system. So there was a lot of the yen really strengthened into it because people have to bring money home to, you know, to balance and shore up their books. But so now I'm watching the yen and the yen again, because this is not a trade issue. This is a financial issue. The yen is, this is not going to be like the plaza cord where you're targeting the yen. So that'll be of the major, to me, the, of the major uh, currencies ought to be the weakest. So I'm running and I don't have any really good location yet. And this, and I have to stress it. You know, I I trade really strongly when I have good location. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when the euro did rally, I had very good trade location in support at 106.30 to 40. You can see it on your on your chart if you put up the euro, and that proved very well. We got a a six cent move up pretty quickly, and that's when the Fed opened up the swap lines, and that's the week when the dollar really uh, performed weak. But it's traced back. And I'm using the Swiss because the Swiss really is my uh, anchor to be long at times. So if I want to be short the yen, I'll put on Swiss yen, which is a very interesting chart too because it held the two, you know, it's it's uh, hanging around at the 200-day and the 200-week moving averages. So I do get some location there that can uh, give me some trade uh, possibilities. So that's really what I'm looking at. I've stayed away from the sterling because the politics have just been a little mixed, although the sterling did have a nice rally against the euro. The euro sterling is very interesting um, in many ways. You don't hear anybody uh, complaining that right now the, that the Brits aren't in Europe, you know, that they're not involved in some of the more heated discussions going on, which is a good thing. So uh, that euro sterling cross, I know, which uh, over the summer, we looked at it quite a bit. We ran some really nice charts when we did the uh, television. So that's been, that's had, everything's been dynamic moves because everybody's trying to figure out how this, you know, not how it begins, because we know how it begins, but how it ends and where you're going to get the most value. So, you know, I'm just dancing around in that, looking for uh, some, uh, when I see some locations that will get tell me, uh, that there's bigger moves afoot because the dollar needs to go down and the Europeans need to get themselves together here because they're going to have to make some major decisions. And if the Europeans made certain decisions, I think you would start to see the dollar uh, head down. Hey, everybody, a quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 index futures contract, symbol R-T-Y. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. Okay, I just want to spend just maybe another minute or two just on the dollar and these foreign, foreign currencies. 
I, I'm trying to picture in my mind. So I actually have up my charts in front of me. And as you've been talking about markets, I've been pulling up charts. Just give us an idea of what you're looking at. I understand that the central focus is the dollar. So the dollar, yeah. you look at the last you know, three, four days, they, they, it started to come back up. Now, the dollar is going up on those days. What is right. it that you're looking for in those other currencies now that you're seeing the dollar going up? Because you, you think that the dollar should be going down. So in the days that the dollar is going yeah. up, what is it that you are, are looking at and how you are planning on trading those currencies you talked about? Well, I'll, I'll be looking at the cross rates because, again, I, you know what? Again, I, I'll, when I see certain levels that don't hold in the euro and I'm looking at the po- politics and the discussion going on, then I'll use the euro as a short, especially against the gold. But we haven't even gotten to that discussion. But you know that's been one of my favorite trades, the gold currencies, for the last two years, uh, two and a half years. So, uh, I, so I'm looking at that. So I look at the euro and I go, well, it didn't hold here. This is not a major level. And again, as I come back to the 106, 30 to 50 area, that gets interesting. And it should hold there again. Uh, I'm fr- here, But here's like a classic day. Okay, let's take Friday. Friday, the euro was, you know, under pressure all day. And then in the last hour, it, it you know, came back in the last two hours. It came back. So even though it closed weak, it was not nearly as weak as it was all day. And uh, the end kind of was different than that. Uh, the end was strong most of the morning. And then towards the later part of the day, that gave up uh, a good part of its relative strength, and even though it you know, really was not great. So I'm watching those relationships because a lot of those are also still tied uh, to, the, uh, to the equity markets because, again, they view the yen as a haven. So when the S&Ps are getting hammered, they start buying yen. I think it's a, it's a, I think that correlation uh, to me in the big fundamental picture is broken down, but you have short time, you know, uh, algorithms that are still pushing it during the day, which, okay. You know what? I, again, we trade, we trade the flows, uh, we trade money flow. And when the money flows are, you know, still tied to that, you have to respect it. So, you know, then I watch, then I see where the oil is because the oil will tie in to certain emerging market currencies. So I'm just watching all of those all day long, which is, you know, you can only do it. I'm a, I don't have it automated. It's just me on a discretionary basis. And, you know, I, I go out and take a run. I go out and take a long walk. You got to get out from under it because it's just so crazy, as you know, and you move it. And you're going to see <laughs> movement. But if you think you missed something, forget about it. It's like trading the S&Ps now. You're going to see five major up and downs during the day now for sure. So you got to get away from it and say, okay, I'm seeing this and think about it. But that's the correlations that I'm looking at. But I know the big picture. And I say I know because the Fed tells you so, that they want a weaker dollar. If you don't think that a lot of what they're doing is to weaken the dollar, I think you're badly mistaken. But it just does reflect the movement in the in the markets so that's what that's what we're we're what i'm doing so i am i have a panoramic view of it all as you know i have all these variables up on my screen and i'm watching it the full panoramic view and looking for and looking for those places understood yeah just so to to quickly summarize it because i want to move on to some other markets and some other topics here It, it sounds to me as though because you know the dollar is so important right now and you have an idea from what you are seeing with the Fed that you know that they want a lower dollar. So you're watching these foreign currencies and kind of this web that all comes from the dollar and you're watching to see what markets are having these sensitive moves that are having these reactions to what you're seeing happening in the dollar and if they're breaking down technically or working technically, either way, right, uh, that you're looking at those as your trade opportunities. Yeah, you said it better than I did, right? It's the okay. sensitivity to the different variables. That's gotcha. what we're looking at. Yeah, exactly. No, I understand. All right. I want to move on and I want to talk about, let's talk about gold. Because <laughs> let's face it, you and I really, I don't think we've ever had a show, Ira, where you and I have not talked about gold. Uh, and I think the last time we talked, it was about 
the possibilities of us going to war with Iran, uh, that was pretty short-lived, as we kind of thought yeah. and, and we talked about on here. And, and you always said, and for years you've been saying this, don't buy gold in anticipation uh, of a war. Um, right. right. And we talked about that. But now things have changed so much, obviously, since then. And just give us a little sense of what you've been trading these days with gold uh, and just in the precious metal space in general. Okay. So when this began to start, this is, it was the beginning, meaning when all the central bank action began to, to really take place. And you can go back and read my blogs. And I really, the start date is uh, February 2nd. And that's when I, because I took a, I was daughter for a couple weeks and I, but I really started this and getting in, involved in this discussion and calling I, right away. I called for a 50 basis point cut for the reason was, of course, the week in the dollar, but I expected the gold to really take off right, right away because this was exactly what I have discussed when we did the show with Santelli in 2016. And well before that, I've been blogging about this for even in the, you know, in 2009 and 10 gold is not, an inflation hedge in the classic sense. Gold is a hedge against central banks losing their credibility and losing control of the fiat currency world. That's what it is in my mind. And the greater fear was deflation, as I've always maintained, because central banks will bend over and break themselves to prevent deflation from taking hold. So if you think that that is, if that is what their end game is, then gold becomes the most qualitative hedge against that. So I expected uh, gold to really take off, as you know, because I, as you, again, you brought up the point when they, when the United States assassinated uh, Solomon and people got, I said, no, and, and, that, and gold did, it had a, about a uh, two hour rally and then it was over. So it proved my point ever again, that geopolitical events don't, but this is not a geopolitical event. This is of course exactly what we have discussed with central banks not really knowing what to do and again just doing everything that they possibly can and i'm not making a statement about whether they're right or wrong i'm not making that there's no there's no judgment call on that it's just what they're doing because they're trying they are trying to prevent a deflationary spiral from taking hold in the world because with all the debt that exists nothing is worse than a deflationary spiral if you don't understand a thing I tell you today. Understand that a deflationary spiral is anathema and dangerous to a system laden with debt. Take that away and think about it, and you'll understand the message, I, what I'm trying to teach you and, and what you, how you have to react to it. But as usual, I failed to understand, and I got hurt the first leg of this because the amount of liquidation of assets was overwhelming any sense of fundamentals. You know, that uh, as Dennis Gartman has so famously said for so long, when the whorehouse gets raided, even the panel player gets arrested. So people who needed to raise cash were liquidating everything. So I would step into the gold market while the gold was even cascading lower, went all the way down to 1452 from being over 1600 and I kept stepping in a little early because I had support levels. And then when it was ready to do its turnaround, as people started to realize, Hey, where am I going to go hide out? Where am I going to go hide out? The dollar is not a haven. Yeah, I know the U S system, but when the central bank is doing everything it can to prevent the deflationary trap from being laid, that's not it. They're printing all of that, so why should I be buying that? So I started, you know, buying gold, and uh, and that which didn't work then became uh, dynamically in my took place dy dynamically in my favor. The missing uh, element, and we'll get into that, is silver, because we saw the gold silver ratio go up to I think 122 when the previous historic high was like 98 ounces of silver to an ounce of gold we got up to 122 123 so you you see that the world is in the throes of the uh that gold is always 
it's the one precious metal that's always deemed a hedge. And because I think you've had a lot of so many central banks loading up their gold reserves uh, that that puts even more upward pressure. And silver is deemed to, to have a dual character, which is, of course, it has an industrial base, which is why it outperforms gold when the economies are humming pretty well. And it has a precious metal base, but just not as considered as much on the global scene. So that's been my views. And, you know, the gold struggles here, we, we still have not made all-time highs, of course. And it's still, but it did close out pretty well for the week, although basically unchanged. So let's talk about last week. With all of this monetization going on in the system, gold still basically only closed unchanged. But there's concerns afoot in the market about whether there's even enough deliverable gold that exists to meet, you know, the positions and paper gold. So the market has a lot to chew on here. But I still think gold is going uh, substantially higher as people realize what has taken place here. And that's even with, you know, and God willing, as I would say, we come to a, a some type of uh, scientific basis to to turning uh, from the drastic effects of this uh, virus. And I don't mean just the deaths, but of course the economic impact. But gold will become even more important because do you think the central banks are going to reverse as fast as they jumped into action? Not a chance in it, not a chance in this world. Because now they're saddled with this program for quite a while regardless. Because they'll be fearful about reversing too quickly. So that's my uh, longer-term view on gold. And again, you have to look at who owns the gold. And I, I actually have in front of me the list of the 20 largest holders of, uh, of gold by country. Uh, United States uh, has, has the most. Uh, Austria is at the bottom of the 20, but interestingly enough, the international, the IMF is basically in third place, following Germany. Germany is the second most. So uh, there are other countries, and China and Russia have been building up their gold reserves because they see this. They have a lot of dollar exposure. And if I was China, as I wrote that one blog, you know, I, that China offered to swap all their treasury bills for Fort Knox uh, uh, was tongue-in-cheek, but it's, maybe it's not so tongue-in-cheek because everybody's carrying a lot of uh, uh, exposure to U.S. dollar assets, and yet we know what the Fed is doing here. And, and what the fiscal authorities, meaning Congress, is doing. So uh, do you, how long do you really want to hold on to dollars it will be the question. And the Fed would actually like that. Listening to you, it sounds to me as though gold is just bullish right now. There's just, there's nothing in the short term that you see, or even in the medium to potentially even long term, that would get you away from buying dips in gold. Yeah, right. I, you know, but again, always location with me because I'm not just throwing darts against the, no, yes. I have to find. Good location. And I like corrections because I'm still trading it. You know, you can't sit there. This this market has told you everything is only a trade right now. I, I'm thinking more long term as to where, meaning I'm thinking out a year, a year and a half. How, you know, how, because I always look at end games. How do you, meaning an exit strategy? And tell me what the extra strategy is and I'll have a, and then I can, you know, have a much better handle on the on the end game so that, that's what i'm i'm looking at they're doing a lot they're they're throwing all caution to the wind as i say there are no rules the fed is bending as many rules as possible under uh, i'm going to get wonky but uh, uh article 13 section 3 of the federal reserve act you can read it and and they're you know buying corporate debt and and they'll eventually basically <laughs> do as they as Draghi famously said, whatever it takes. Well, that's kind of what they have to, to put on whatever it takes. And of course, you have Congress that just passed a two trillion stimulus or more, and they're already talking about the next one. So, you know what? Don't there, there is nothing going on but what in their mind is 
salvaging the system. And, and make no mistake about it. That's the language. They're salvaging the system. They're preventing a, a uh, deflationary spiral which will devastate the system because of all the debt that exists. There's nothing more than they would love than six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent inflation right now. You know, everybody talks about it. There's nothing more because that would minimize and lessen the impact of debt. Nothing wipes out debt better than inflation, by the way. Because if I'm earning, if my prices go up, my debt costs don't go up. You know, if I'm if I have a 10-year loan, you know, locked in at three percent, but all of a sudden prices start to rise, I'm paying you back with cheaper dollars. The emphasis on cheaper dollars, the Fed wants a cheaper dollar to help stabilize the global system. Can't get away from it. A question I constantly get is, what platform do I use to trade futures? Well, I use TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now they have integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You could try it now for free at tryttnow.com. I just want to go back to when I said that even in the short term or even the long term that you'd be buying dips in gold. I'm glad that you put some context to it because as everyone knows that has listened to me uh, and you in the past, we always talk about knowing the macro theme is only one part of it. The charts have to align with that macro theme and it helps us guide our trades and manage risk. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I just want to clarify really what I was saying was that if you see something on the technicals for a good period of time going forward, that's bullish gold and it's a long setup, that's a green light for you to get long gold. Listen, that's why February was not an easy month for me. Uh, I had had a really good January, but February, uh, because we had a lot of those, again, you were getting liquidation moves. And I've never, those have always been problematic for me because the fundamentals don't change, but the dynamic of liquidation is always more powerful than I believe. And that's been throughout my history. So I always think I'm learning and I'm more patient. As As you and I talked about my wish orders. Well, I leave orders now. I mean, you see $25 moves in the gold prompted by nothing. I go out for a run, I go out for a long walk, I come back, all of a sudden I'm filled, and the market is back to where it was. Because these things are going on all day. You are seeing all the volatility you could ever dream of. And, and really, for, from, our, from my perspective, and I would say probably years after, a lot of the quants have been so badly shaken, they're not in there doing what they were doing. You know, I have done several shows with you warning against these the short vol strategies that they were, you were playing with death. And you know what? They're play, they've played with death and a lot of them are gone. So it's for a fundamental-based trader who then uses the technicals to determine my risk points and my exit strategies. This, this is now the market returning to my basics. So I, you know what? I, I don't wish it. I'm not a uh, schadenfreude person. I don't wish bad to people, but if the market clears itself of some of these uh, strategies that have really wreaked havoc with the fundamental analysis for several years, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not crying for them. I want to move on. We've got two more topics that I want to go over before I let you go. And thank you for joining me on a Sunday, by the way. Um, yeah. I, I want to talk about treasuries. At the beginning of the year, when you and I spoke about the macro themes for 2020, that was a very important uh, call for me because every year at the beginning of the year, I always want to hear what you think is going to be a theme for the year. And you said lower for longer. That was a theme, right? Obviously, (laughs) without question, that's uh, happening as we speak right now. How have you been trading that? You know what? I, I've actually I was trading quite a bit of treasuries, but uh, I think it was two weeks ago on a Sunday when I read what the Fed had done. I said, "Well, when they announced how many more treasuries they were going to buy, I figured nah, this ain't." And oh, and uh, even uh, Leo Brainerd and a few others had talked about yield curve control, 
that's when you see that YCC yield curve control, which Japan has done, so they, which is a way to reinstitute what they did back in the late 40s and early 50s until they reached an accord with the Treasury, um, until the Fed did. So when I saw yield curve control, because I was playing steepers, and I was actually doing quite well with the two fives and the two tens, and every once in a while I'm putting on short 30s against it. But then I, I got, I said, you know what? I'm gonna, this is going to be a losing proposition until I figure out what it is that the bank's going to do. So I've really been out of the treasury market for for two weeks, and I'm just watching it because I learned a lot in trading the European sovereign debt markets. Oh, you know, since Draghi, probably two, four, 2014, 2015, because the bank they were buying $80 billion a month. So I was I would watch it and I would try to get some levels where I would trade because I would say, well, the bank has to come in here. The bank has to. So now from learning that, now I'm, I'm stepping back and watching what the Fed is doing here. Even though the Fed tells the dealers and the market when they're going to come in on a daily basis, it's, it's posted. But the impact of this Fed with the ma- massive amounts of buying and the, the massive issuance of T-bills that is going on because the Treasury is trying to keep everything short-term for the, for the while they're issuing to fund this massive spending programs, T-bills. Uh, so I'm just taking a step back. This is a learning time for me, and I want to see uh, how things are coordinating, and I don't want to step into it. So I've been out. Uh, I did really well in March, the beginning of March with the yield curves, because they did exactly what they should have steepened out dramatically as the markets got nervous that the Fed was just going to be, again, uh, with all this creation of liquidity, that you wanted to shorten your duration. So people were buying the front end and uh, selling the the longer end. I mean, you saw it across the board, even the uh, euro dollars curves, because I was trading the... uh, these 2021, these 20, these 21, which is a short term curve, but that went from these 21 being almost 20 points positive to these 20 down to negative 10 as a sign of how much steepening was taking place. That's how dynamic that was. And now we're back to, ba- to the uh, 21 is five points premium again. I think that's where it closed at on Friday. Um, so there are movements afoot. I'm really not trading them. I want to watch. Now, my scenario still stands. Anybody who buys anything more than a two-year as an investment, not as a trade, take, you know, if you put it, your trading head is different, but if you're buying it as an investment at this time, and I know people have to, you know, I, I, have, I certainly don't respect you as a uh, financial analyst because there, you the Fed's telling you what they're going to do and what they're going to try to do. So outside of the Fed buying the long end, I don't know why anybody would be buying the long end. I, I know that people need some duration strategies, but at these kind of levels, to me, I don't see a way you can possibly ever make money, ever. And yet you were, and if the Fed is victorious, you're going to lose a lot of money. So uh, I stay away from the long end, except as a trade. I'll trade it, of course, during the day once I get my opinion about something, but uh, not as an investment. So that hovers over me, and I'll be looking to do some dynamic steepeners. It's just too early for me. I have to really see the way this Fed action starts to play out. I, too, have stepped away from trading treasuries. I mean, at the beginning of this year, when you talked about lower for longer, uh, my mindset was, okay, Ira is saying the global macro situation is you want to be buying dips in treasuries. I was looking at that. Uh, I think since the coronavirus, the 10-year is what I focus on, 10-year ultras. Very difficult trade now. I mean, I'm not I'm not, not trading it the same reasons that you are. And as an outright trader uh, like myself and many of the other listeners out there, what are your thoughts on just like what do you see happening in, let's just say, the 10-year, 5, 10, and 30-year going, going forward right now? You know, I, I, there being – Supported, of course, by the by the Fed action. Uh, interestingly, while the Fed is busy buying this, you know, uh, foreign central banks, 
I think in, in March, liquidated $109 billion of treasuries. Well, and you know what? If I ran a, a foreign central bank, I'd be doing the same thing because why would I sustain and hold an asset that they're telling me that they, they're, they're doing all they can, all they can to create an inflationary environment and that's not to my detriment and I'm getting an artificial bid, meaning the central bank isn't buying them, pushing values ever higher. I may as well liquidate that and I may as well go short short term. So I may as well join, you know, the Fed, the treasury wants to sell T-bills. Good. I'll buy, I'll buy 90 day T-bills. I'll buy 180 day T-bills. Why would I want to stay in the long end? You know, if the central bank is buying it, give them all they want. You know, that's my, that's my attitude about it. So if I was a foreign central bank, if I was a Chinese, I'd be dumping anything I had of a long-term duration. So I, I just don't, know why anybody would as an investment again but you'd be buying and again and some people say oh you know what the, the treasuries are a um a sign of uh of fear well maybe but i can do you know for the extra i don't know uh 30 40 basis points i can cut my duration look at what's what's the uh, tenure 60 61 basis points the two year is is what uh, twenty six. So for thirty five basis points, I'm going to take an extra eight year duration. No, I don't think so. So I'd be moving down down the curves to shorten my duration of exposure as short as possible. That, that's the way I that's the way I'm looking at this. And uh, and I it'll happen. It, it'll happen. I I just don't know when. Because uh, again. If somebody wrote a piece, maybe it was Yardini talking about the, well, you know, was he had talked about the return of bond vigilantes. But they can't because the central banks just, it's too difficult to get short treasuries. You can't make any money because, you know, as, as you're telling me, they'll push it right in your face when they come in and nobody wants to go home short because you don't know what the, what the plan's going to be over a weekend or overnight. So it's, it's difficult to short the market, but they will have their day. I just don't know when. Yeah. Just hearing you talk, it sounds to me as though like it, it, the play is over. The move is over. We're entering a time now where uh, I think it's just going to be choppy. Oh, yeah. choppy. All right. Sure. And you know what? As we like to say, trade the chop. Yeah, I good mean, enough and you trade the chop. That's it. But trade it. Do not, do not position yeah. it. Do not position it. Yeah, it doesn't lean at this point more to one side than another. It, it seems to me as though you you just watch the reactions on your resistance. If it reacts the way you want, you can, you know sell it. And if it you gets to support, you watch the reactions. You get the reactions you want. You know, buy it because for me, even though I'm a day trader, I like to know these macro themes because I tend to side with the macro theme a little bit more aggressively when it hits an area that that that's working with it. So, for example, in Treasuries, beginning of this year, I want to be more aggressive on the buy side, but now I look at it and go, "Yeah, nothing's changed." Uh, in terms of wanting to be more aggressive on the long side, essentially because of everything we're seeing happening. But that move is probably, it could be done. I mean, maybe it keeps going, but in the, as a day trader, like you said, it just feels like trade the chop. I, I think that, that that's what we're looking at. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And when the market starts to settle down somewhat, okay? You know, my favorite point is to go back to February 2013. You know, I did a show with, um, I watched our USA with Greg Hunter. And in that period, we had started to see that the metals had started to consolidate. Yeah, yeah gold was consolidating between 1550 and six, maybe $1,700. But it was consolidating. It was doing a lot of shop and grind in that area. And the S&Ps were, you know, the, it looked like the Fed was getting a handle. The people got confidence that the Fed had stemmed the worst of the crisis. So the SPs that already had a rally off the course, you know, its ultimate bottom, it, you know, it was made in March of 2009, but there was interesting things going on. And I said on that show, 
it was in February 2013, I said, well, you know, I've, I, gold has been interesting, I, but I would liquidate some gold here and move into the S&Ps because it's starting to show you through consolidated trading of the s that people are gaining a little more confidence that the central banks have uh, have won the war, especially, you know, with Europe, which had been under stress in 2012, everything was starting to calm a little bit. People were willing to move more into equity. Well, I took, I got beaten up badly by that crowd, but it was absolutely right. So we want to see, and that my point is, we want to see markets consolidate because those will make it healthier. These are not healthy markets. The dynamic movement, you know, one headline, one tweet, you know, it's, one one tweet about the amount of deaths, one less that you know everything is really pandemonium. Uh, and then of course you get all the Fed action and you get the fiscal action. So these are all out there. We'd like to see some calm return. Last topic for the day, Ira. You mentioned that you're trading commodities, yep. oats and wheat. <laughs> In all the years yeah. I've known you and spoken to you, I don't know that I've ever heard you say I'm trading oat. <laughs> uh, so no, no. talk to us about what you're trading there. I like to trade. You know, oats, as you used to say, there was an old saying at the Board of Trade, grain, that as the oats go, so go the grains. So that, yeah, I've always watched oats. It's a thinly traded market. But, you know, and they have a lot of, relationship to wheat because a lot of the oats, mostly oats grown, are up north because they have a short season. So North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, those are really the larger oat growing areas. So I like to watch it. And oats are, you know, an animal feed as well as a human. So, they, you know, they serve cross purposes. And when, when wheat goes up, less oats are planted because they're in so many of those same areas. So, you know, wheat prices actually have held up probably the best of all of it, as we sit here at five fifty-five, sixty, because there's talk of you know Russia not selling as much because they want to hoard, you know, and ensure that they have enough stock for their people. So there's some of that going on. So I'm just watching them. But the key, of course, has been the let's you know I, those are just to watch. You know, and I'll trade the oats. I have some some interesting areas, believe it or not, uh, but they're not. They're, it's a very thinly traded market. Um, the big players drive it all over the place. I traded very cautiously, but I think that there is a uh, a shortage. First of all, because so there's so much more human consumption of oats. You know, as we search for diet, and it's the type of food that people can now really stock up on. So I don't know. I mean, I'm watching it. I'm watching it really based on the uh, on the wheat, uh, which which really has held up uh, very well. Uh, the other commodity, sugar, is you know this this uh, the demand shock from uh, from the virus from COVID nineteen has really been uh, dynamic. Sugar's dropped uh, quite a bit. Copper's dropped quite a bit. All the commodities across the board have dropped, and of course, nothing's dropped more than the energy market. So of course, that was helped and fueled by uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia with their uh, quote-unquote feud. I'm not sure that it wasn't uh, designed, by the way, because the Saudis and Russians have actually been fairly close because the Russians have done the Saudis some big numbers up in uh, Syria and being able to uh, calm certain events. So I'm not buying it that they're at each other's throats. Uh, I'm not. You know, I me, I, I've been writing about this, and I'm going to write about it more, that... Putin, you know, every like on Friday, Thursday, Friday, oil rallies because Trump says that, you know, he, he called Putin or he's got the Saudis. Putin is not making a deal with anybody unless he's getting something in return. So tell me what he's getting if he's cutting oil production. Tell me. Because a lot of the havoc, in fact, as much as the virus on that one Sunday afternoon when it was announced, that the that there was no OPEC deal, and we walked into oil prices collapsing, and I mean collapsing. That was a Sunday afternoon. That did more havoc to the S and P's and everything else to the to the markets than anything. 
that was that was very dynamic because oil serves a very important purpose in the markets. And when we talk, we're going to bring this full circle at the ever end here. When oil prices are down, as everybody's come to realize, there's a lot less liquidity. And that's dollar-based liquidity in the global system because oil's priced in dollars. So when you get this dynamic a drop, there's a lot of emerging countries who export a lot of oil who are really struggling, making the Fed's job tougher and tougher and tougher. So now you went from Donald Trump crying when oil prices were up at $60 going, oh, you know, they got to get more oil, to now he's crying that they're too low. Because why? The impact on the United States with the jobs lost in the Permian and the Bakken would go on and on are going to be huge because we know these companies are going bankrupt. They, they were struggling when oil was in the $40 with the huge amount of debt that they're carrying. Again, everything comes down to debt loads and the prices. So they can't make it. You're going to lose very high priced jobs. And these are, so you're going to, it's going to really affect the average hourly earnings going forward when you start to see all these high uh, salary jobs leaving the market. But oil prices have now, you know, attained a different one because again, it reflects and is playing havoc on global liquidity. So it's it's a good place to end. Do I think they get a deal? Well, I only think they get a deal if the U.S. removes the sanctions on Russia, because I don't know what else Putin wants at this point. But he's not making a deal. Again, if you negotiate a deal, it's a give get. What are you giving? What are you getting? And if Putin's going to cut oil production, he has to know that there's a get to him. And tell me what the get is. Hey, everybody. I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a longstanding brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. I was thinking the same thing uh, and reading everything about this uh, this weekend. I'm thinking to myself, what are they going to get, <laughs> right? Because just like you said, if you, if you know the man, if you know the situation, he doesn't do anything unless he's getting something. Exactly. And you know what? Interestingly, as Putin is Putin, when does he pull this move? When the world is focused on something else. He's always doing things when the world is focused. As I keep telling people, when did they when did they invade uh, 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 South uh, Georgia? It was in 2008 during the Beijing Olympics. Olympics. Yep. When did he When did he invade Crimea during Sochi, the Winter Olympics in 2014? When the world's attention is elsewhere, the Russians are on the move. And it, when did he pull this? When the whole world's focus is on the virus. Yep. He, he is, and he's got issues. You know, don't, everybody thinks, well, you know, it's with Saudi Arabia. It's nonsense. First of all, and you, you will know this because when we did that podcast back in 2016, October 2016 with Santelli, uh, that was, I had that discussion, I, I believe with Shy Girl. Because you asked the question, who's bullish oil, who's bearish oil? And everybody was bearish because they were all looking at supply. And my response was, I was bullish. And he said, well, why? I said, because for the first time in history, the Saudi Arabia king went to Moscow. The That's Saudi right. king does not go to Moscow. That was the discussion we had. You, yes. Anybody can go look it up. I remember that. And, and oil prices did not go lower, even though everybody knew that there was all this oil, they went higher. They went from 45 to 65, I believe. So we had had that discussion, and no. And the Saudi king was just in in uh, Russia again recently. Not not MBS, but uh, the old king. Uh, so this is far more complicated. You know, everybody wants to spin a narrative. You know, the way I work is I want to, I want to uh, see a narrative and go, no, I, that's not what the world points to. And I'm not buying it. Putin has something that he wants. Well, goddamn, give it to him. If this oil price is so, what, it's so important, stop dancing around. Those sanctions don't mean 
crap anyway. They've had no impact on them. And let me explain another part, and other people have covered it. When you, so let's go back to oil being at $45 a barrel, okay? What we close at 28 or 28 and a half for West Texas on uh, Friday. So, and it got down to 19 something, maybe 18. So in the last two weeks. So you look at the ruble. And in the beginning of the year, when it looked like commodity prices were going higher, oil was going higher, the dollar was going lower, the ruble was trading at 60, 61 to the dollar. We're now trading at 80 to the dollar. So when Russia sells oil and the ruble is at 80, well, they take their dollars, they convert it to rubles. So Russians, listen, they've sold off a lot of treasuries, by the way. They're not holding a lot of dollars. They've bought a lot of gold from the Russian Central Bank. So they're, they're trying to move away from the dollar because of the sanctions. The dollars do them no good because they can't move them. You know, in a way, you know, the oligarchs can't move them because people are sanctioned and they can't, don't have access to the SWIFT system to transfer all this money around the globe. So they're trying to get away from it. But if you start doing the math and you go, whoa, 80, uh, let's see, we're at 80 rubles and we're at $28, you know, we're just, so let's call it $30. So that's 2,400 rubles to a barrel of oil. Well, when the ruble was 60 to one, you know, eight, nine weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, uh, and oil was $50, let's say, that's 3,000 uh, rubles to a barrel of oil. So right now, the Russians are not struggling as much as everybody else because the ruble has, so has soaked up some of that. And if the Russians aren't undergoing a lot of inflation, and they're not, by the way, they actually have a very good central banker. Uh, I call her, her name is Elvira. I can't pronounce, uh, I can, but, but she's the Russian, she's the head of the Russian central bank. She's actually very good. I, I read stuff that she writes. And uh, Russian inflation has been low, even as the ruble goes up and down. So they're not as in bad a shape as others think. But you better ask yourself, as a trader and as an investor, what does Putin want? And, and if Putin gets what he wants, again, one of my favorite trades is to buy the RSX fund, which now has probably has a dividend of about 6.5%, 7%. And they're not carrying a lot of debt. And it's Russia, but the stock's been beaten up. It was at $25 back in, uh, maybe even 26 back in uh, early January, mid-January, mid in, in, in February, I think. And, we're, and it got down to 15. I think it's hovering back at 17. So it's actually one of those that I like to watch in reference to all of this. So a lot of interesting things out there, Anthony, and be a trader. Don't look for major investments here yet because there's still way too much uncertainty. An absolutely incredible time to be a trader right now because of all the things that we talked about today, Ira. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing so much insight with us on your blog and on this show. Where can people find you on Twitter and the website to your blog, please? Notes from Underground. Uh, and, and if you don't subscribe to it, you can subscribe to it, uh, Ira Harris, Y-R-A-H-A-R-R-I-S.com. And that's my Twitter. I don't really tweet out a much. The blog gets tweeted out. So you can find it there. Um, and, that's, and that's it. And I do all these podcasts, which, Anthony, thank you. You know, I do the FRA podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there quite a bit. Uh, and, again, if you're really looking for the big, macro big picture, and then trading inside it, I don't think there's a better source than, uh, than what I offer up. Hands down, the best source for me. I read every blog that you put out. And like I said, I just really can't thank you enough, enough for uh, your friendship and just leadership for traders over the years, uh, helping us understand things that uh, <laughs> we we couldn't figure out in books, Ira. I, I can tell you that. I mean, just from hearing you speak today and reading your blog posts uh, over the last several years, I've learned so much. And, and, and thank you so much, my friend. I wish you nothing but health and the best for you and your family during this crazy time. Uh, thank you again for coming on Futures Radio Show. Yeah, and thanks, and thanks for having me. And as I say, Anthony, you know this. 
I'm not just putting this up. I eat my cooking. You are getting from what I'm actually doing. I don't, you know, I don't put the trades. I'll put the, the concept together for people. But as I always say, you got to go figure out your own risk tolerance and figure out where you're comfortable with that. But if you think the picture is right, get on board and get on it. That's right, my friend. Thank you again so much for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Anthony. Be well, and everybody stay healthy and uh, adhere to the guidelines that they're putting out there for us, especially old people like myself. Uh, at 67, I'm in the vulnerable group. But uh, I'm going to go take a run because if I can still run the golf course every day, I know I'm healthy. That's, that's my test. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.